Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a full-service media agency servicing networks, studios, brands, and Fortune 500 clients. One Circle creates content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com or DM me on Instagram at John Brancaccio. And that's J-O-H-N-B-R-A-N-C-A-C-C-I-O. I'd love to hear from you. One Circle not only creates media across multiple platforms such as TV, digital video, social media, websites, and apps for clients, but we also create original content for consumers. One of our latest projects is Still Believe. Still Believe is an app that transforms pictures into video of children's favorite magical characters in their home. With the app, parents can catch the magic of the tooth fairy leaving money under their children's pillow or Santa delivering presents on Christmas Eve in their home. You download the app, take a picture, and we create the magic. We utilize feature film virtual effects artists to transform your picture into your Still Believe video to amaze your children. You can tell your kids that you have a special app that can detect and capture the Tooth Fairy and Santa and then present them with the video proof in the morning. The look on their faces is priceless. Your Still Believe video is created in minutes and you can then save it to your phone and share on social media. The app is free to download and also has in-app purchases. So for $3, you can catch the Tooth Fairy in your home. The Still Believe app is available for the iPhone on the App Store and Android on Google Play. Our aim is to bring joy and wonder into the hearts of children around the world. Check it out at stillbelieve.co. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Time, weather, and <laughs> Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleep. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. Y'all need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. To stay late, Bob. Teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was no. living his toenails at his desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey, everybody. It's Maddie Kay. And John. And we are here once again. It is November 18th, I believe. Uh, sunny day, little cool, uh, maybe about 36 degrees, 38 degrees. You'd think we were like chartering a plane or something or, you know, like the weather made a difference with the podcast. The weather is, <laughs> the weather is always first of month. It's, it's first topic on the well, working experience podcast. It's funny how at work, you know, people will just comment, oh, it's cold out or it's hot out. You know, there's no need for it. It's just sort of a, uh, I don't know. So like people say happy Friday. Now they say happy Monday. I've heard happy Thursday. Uh, I kind of feel like saying, hey, look, we got to pick a day of the week. That's it. Okay. We can't happy every day. Well, I, I think I think society is being inundated with affirmations, and we have to. We basically have to lie to ourselves. Like it's it's not a happy Tuesday, my friend. No, it's not a happy Monday. You, you <laughs> no, have listen. you have to buy those bill of goods in order to make it through the day. Well, speaking of affirmations, uh, I'll do a little plug for our Instagram page. Paul Keenan, who's a local comic up here in the Boston area. He uh, has some excellent affirmations that uh, he reads for us on Instagram. So we'll be releasing, I don't know, maybe one a day or so. I think I think we did about 20, 25. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll release those one a day on uh, Instagram and then we'll throw them up on uh, YouTube. We can also, we can also put them on Facebook and Twitter too. Sure. 
sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you listen to one of those in, in the morning, you, you're going to be affirmed all day long. It'll be. Oh, it's going to be. It's going to be a happy day, <laughs> no matter what day it is. You know, there's an advertisement I saw. Uh, it pops up on Instagram. I don't on my feed for whatever reason. I don't know how these people get on it, but it's called the Sunday Scaries, and it's basically, um, you know, like if you've put in a hard night's drinking Friday. You know, you drank on Saturday. Oh, yes. These are the gummy bears, the, hemp, the CBD gummy bears. Yeah, the hemp things. Are, I don't know. I think they have. I looked them up, and I think they have, like, hemp in them or something. It's supposed to, like, try to smooth you out on Sunday so you don't lose your mind. Cause yeah, so, well, it's, it's so you don't, you don't have anxiety. What, this is what I love about, like, you know, there's these um, – there's a – pill to solve it there's a everything to solve it there's everything like i see it all the time they'd be like uh this uh this green shake will help you uh you know deal with your hangover and it's like how about not drink you know two (laughs) bottles of vodka in the first place wow and then you don't have to drink this like sludge yeah It, it it no it doesn't dawn on anyone to like you know stop taking the hammer and hitting yourself in the head <laughs> and you won't have brain damage. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, a lot of people like in their twenties, early thirties and older, but you know, you, you tend to you go out on a Friday, go out on a Saturday, Sunday, you know, kind of sucks. You do have like the hangover and you get the anxiety, the jitters and you're right. You, you could avoid all of that by not drinking. But, uh, yeah, there, there's always, well, what I like are the, the pill, the, um, they're these heartburn pills. You take them before you eat something you shouldn't eat. That gives you heartburn. <laughs> and it's like I, I love I love that. I take love these it. and then I sit down and eat a plate full of hot wings, which, you know, by the time maybe you're in your 40s, you should be careful about. And if it's giving you heartburn, that's your body telling you you shouldn't be eating this. Like your body right. doesn't want no, it. But- that's what that's what the drugs are for, right? To to <laughs> right. kill those messengers, yeah. To, to bat them down so that you know Timmy can uh, uh, come up to the table and down thirty hot <laughs> and pay no Jeez. consequences. Pay no no consequences. Yeah. Just take a pill. Uh, Paul Keenan and this other guy Frank Chernowski, they're both in the short film that I just did. They both lost. Uh, Paul lost a hundred pounds on uh, New England fat loss. And I said... Um, What's it, New England fat loss? It, it's, a, it's this like a program that you do up here. It's basically, a, you know, they put you on a diet. And he is said... It like, is it like Weight Watchers? I think kind of, yeah. I don't think they do the the food. Uh, the, like, I don't think they give you food. Um, but like he did that. Frank didn't do any program except his own. But they both said the same thing. They just cut down on how much they were eating. Like Frank... Well, he's all over Facebook with it. He lost 60 pounds in the past, like, four months. And, uh, yeah, and he, he just said he, he makes all his meals ahead of time. He puts them into Tupperware. It's like chicken and broccoli, and that's that's what he eats. Like, he'll eat one or two small meals a day, and he'll have, like, rice cakes in between. And, and Paul, you know, basically said the same thing. Like, portion control, he had to cut out certain things, no carbs, uh, a lot of vegetables and lean protein, and he had to eat less, and that—that's basically what it is. Like you gotta, no, I, I, you know, stop right there, Matt. I'd rather take a pill. No, I know. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I yeah, don't. No, I, I don't want to do. It, that's that's the thing. Like, it's it's like to lose weight to get in shape. It's very simple. It, it, it's it's not. It could be explained to you in under a minute. But it's hard. But it's hard to do. Right. Ergo. Nobody wants to do it, right. and that's why people can sell you a diet pill that you swallow that does absolutely nothing, but you think you're doing something. I think it's also kind of rough on your kidneys. Like, I think you end up kind of pissing a lot of stuff out, and, you know, it's it's like a laxative sort of, and it, it's not, like, really good for you, especially over – I mean, if you got to lose, like, 20 pounds in a month or, or like, two months – then maybe you could say, okay, I just got to do that. But it's not a long-term. And, and frankly, I'm getting really tired of hearing about people's diets and the shakes and the this and the that. It's like, 
all right, like, so, you know, you can bench press 300 pounds. Now what? <laughs> like, great. You know, you can right, right. do it. I mean, that's, that's nice and everything, but it's sort of like, yeah, okay. but so, for yeah. some people it's their, you know, it's their identity. And it's, know, be, it's better than Instagram is huge for just like, you know, a lot of people working out in fitness. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just sort of like, I don't know. I, I yeah, you just have to cut down and, uh, um, speaking of affirmations, though, I, I heard this really good one by Denzel Washington. It's not really an affirmation, but he uh, gave a speech at some university. It was really good. I mean, some of it was of a religious bent. But uh, he said, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. And it took me a minute to kind of get that. And he said, let me sink that in, for, let that sink in for a second, and then I'll repeat I, I it. I saw the same, I saw this this speech on youtube too yeah it was very engaging and he was like you know basically you can't take it with you like you know right what you work for is not you know necessarily material stuff and and he also he and joe rogan they didn't do a video together but it's but and there are a couple other people in there a guy named simon sinak who does a lot of like ted talks and things they were talking about iphones or smartphones and denzel washington was like you know are you using your smartphone or is your smartphone using you? And, you know, when in this whole thing about the addictive nature of it and uh, like you have said about, you know, people specifically design this to be as addictive as like alcohol, cigarettes. And then Joe Rogan goes on this whole rant about, you know, uh, kind of turns it into a, you know, commentary on the American worker and things. But you know, it was just kind of interesting that to hear that from, uh, from those guys, and um, yeah, it made made a lot of sense. Uh, anyway, uh, so we were going to talk a little bit about this uh, article that John sent me. It was about a bridge. It well, it started with a bridge in Chicago collapsing. Uh, so it's about the the great American empire that you know we we Americans think that we're the best in everything that we do say, touch, speak. And, you know, in reality, we we're not, I mean, I mean, look, if, if you're going to look at the, the richest country in the world, I think we're, you know, by the numbers, we're clearly there. But then when you look at healthcare, infrastructure, education, uh, we are, <laughs> we're lagging behind badly and this article was about um, it was a bridge in pennsylvania right matt uh okay i got it up now the egregious lie american tell themselves he starts with the liberty bridge in pittsburgh and it, it caught on fire and uh basically it was kind of it took them six years like they knew this bridge was in trouble it took them six years to actually get the funding together to fix it and then when they started to it caught on fire basically because they didn't follow the proper fire safety protocols, and then the fine was waived um, against the company building it. So I think this is just kind of an example of it, what I took out of it, and I think, you know, we all tend to do this. We tend to do this on the podcast. We, we talk in kind of sweeping generalities, uh, you know, about problems and things. But, you know, I like this one because it was a specific, like, I think he was kind of saying we're really good at talking about things, but when it comes to specifically fix something, like, okay, here's the problem. Let's get the money for it. Let's get somebody in there to fix it. It took six years to get the money together <laughs> for this bridge, which clearly needed to which be fixed. Was, which was literally, I think in the article, it, it's like it's over uh, this river. That's it, I, I can't remember how many feet up it is, but if it failed, it would be a disaster. Uh, it was built in 1928. It was re <laughs> renovated in 1982. Carries more than 50,000 vehicles a day. Serves as the main commuter link between the city's central business district and the populous southern suburbs. Uh, so the problem had gotten so bad that they had to um, keep reducing the weight restrictions like so commercial vehicles couldn't go a, across it and and causing all kinds of problems for six years this went on 
And he does take note that it was the perennially Republican state legislature, but he does go on to fault Democrats for other stuff as well. And he talks about like these specific things, like plight of the homeless, uh, the role of poor, underpaid teachers. You know, I can speak to, to education, like smaller class sizes. You know, if you want smaller class sizes, which I think kids benefit from, I would say 15 max, you need to hire more teachers. And if you want good, qualified teachers, you need to pay them. But they come up, like I know in Boston, they have a new head of the teachers union who uh, I don't think she's ever taught before, which again, it's sort of like one of these things where you're like, Shouldn't you get a former teacher in there? Shouldn't you get somebody who's been a teacher, a principal, a superintendent of a school district, and then have them overseeing the state? But leaving that aside, she did make a good point. And I'm not sure I'm talking about the same person because they had an interim one and, and so forth. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The head of the teachers union is different from the, the super. I was talking about two different people. Uh, the head of the teachers union said, okay, you know, one problem she has is these legislature legislators and all that, they said, okay, we're going to fix education. We're going to extend the school day. And a lot of teachers said, well, no. Now, now that can read as, well, teachers don't want to work. They're lazy. And she said, the point is extend the day to do what? Like, what exactly are we going to do? Like, what, what's the goal? Are we going to extend each class by seven minutes are we going to have an extra 45 minutes at the end of the day? And what are we going to do? And there were no specifics in the plan. It was like a Donald Trump plan. No specifics. Just, we're going to extend the school day, and that's going to raise test scores. And it's like, no, it isn't, actually. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what it is like in Boston, but I can, I can speak the situation here in New York, specifically on Long Island, because I pay taxes and I, I look over the budgets. The, the biggest expenditure for my property taxes is by far school. Like it's like 87 cents on the dollar. doesn't oh, even wow. touch police, trash, whatever. It is, it is by far the most. And then you look at the school district and the teachers here are paid well. They could be they could be paid better, but they're paid well. It's not the teachers' salaries; it's the administration costs associated with it, and the politics around the entire educational system. And there's also obviously the benefits when teachers retire, but that speaks to the high costs of healthcare, which is a whole nother problem. So it's not just a um, Look, I'm all for uh, higher pay for teachers. I think teachers should get paid, you know, a very competitive salary because they're, you know, they're teaching the youth of America, which is a very noble job. I mean, outside of the job that you do, Matt, which right. is you know, <laughs> kids' lives. So, right, right. But, but you're, you're, I'm just talking about your, uh, you know, you know, teachers in general, right? right? Yeah. But... You don't need six people to manage one teacher. You wouldn't so, think. So, what's that? You would not think. No. Yeah. You. you so the the layers of administration in Nassau and Suffolk County on Long Island is insane, and you have superintendents that are making three hundred, three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars, which is just you know. So, and it's only getting worse and it's all, and, and then things get complicated because the school district, how they do and how they rate is all tied to the property values. And you want to be in a good school district because it increases you, the, uh, your investment, your house. So each year they, you know, they raise the budget a little bit more. Some people complain, but then it gets passed through. And then there's more layers of management. There's more rules. There's more regulations. So it's not just, it's, what I'm saying, it's not black and white. It's not just a matter of pay teachers more. And I, uh, and I know, you know, this is different with each state. I know, you know, states in the South, Mississippi, Arkansas, they pay their teachers nothing. Just, it, it, it it's, uh, it's, it's a crime 
right? And their their benefits package are te they're terrible. I'm talking about you know this situation here in New York, and it, and it could be different in Boston. I don't know. Well, no, I I would say that um, that administrative. Uh, idea. I mean, that, I wouldn't say where I teach. I mean, you know, we have a principal, we have two assistant principals, but they also do a lot of other duties. They oversee facets of the special education program. And, you know, they work very, very hard. I don't know what their salaries are, but um, uh, the town is, you know, we're probably pretty comparable in, in socioeconomic and things like that. Um, but you know, when, when people sort of uh, wax poetic about education and things like that, it's just, you know, that again, they tend to, to speak in generalities and and so forth. And I would say you're probably in a very small percentage of people who actually looks at the budget and actually, <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, I bet most people don't. I mean, they, don't, they have no idea. And, you know, with education specifically, you know, you're kind of dealing with a transient population in the sense that like you know somebody's kids out of there and and let's say it's high school they're out of there in four years and they're really not going to think too much about it after their kid has graduated and and so forth and uh i'm kind of rambling here but my, my point was like you know i mean my school's not overpacked. you know i have one class with like 12 kids i have another class with like maybe 23 but it's certainly very manageable and i have some teaching assistants and things like that but, you know, you get into a poorer school district in the Bronx, in in certain areas of Boston and things like that. You know, the places are overpacked. Teachers, I mean, Detroit, they're asking kids to bring toilet paper to school, you know. Jesus. And it's like the elephant in the room is you got to put more money into it. And as soon as you say that, you're talking about taxes and everybody starts rolling their eyes. And But, to you know, like to get back to the extended school day. Like, again, that's what made me think of it with this article. It's like, we're really good at sort of platitudes. Like, oh, education's so important. And our veterans, like, uh, you know, we're really good on Veterans Day about the parade and the flags and this and that. But, you know, that there was that scandal at the VA like two or three years ago where veterans couldn't get their benefits. And it's like, all the flags and parades in the world are not going to get these guys the help they need. So it's like, I don't know, it, the article sort of, it seemed to be getting to that. Like, we're really good about the platitudes, but it's like, okay, how do you pay for this? Like, how do you, like this guy, Joe Jones, served in Iraq. He now needs medical care. He goes to the VA. He's on the waiting list. He can't get what he needs. How do we resolve that? Well, now it's and and it like gets it takes six years to approve the funding for a bridge. I mean, it, you can see where people yeah, get and, frustrated. And it's one of the it's one of those things that you know we all take it for granted. We take the infrastructure for granted. You know, the roads, the bridges, the you know the tunnels, the the uh, mass transit. But when it fails, it <laughs> it's a disaster. And it's an, you know, pe people could get killed, number one, and, you know, which is horrific. But then there also could be massive, massive delays. And, you know, something like New York City, you know, like a, a, a rail goes out because they haven't, you know, Amtrak hasn't updated the rail system in 100 years. And you're talking, you know, lost productivity. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of people trying to get into the city and they can't. Then the roads jam up. It's a disaster. And... Our politicians now are just kicking the can down the road. Well, he says here, ask anyone who's compared the nine-hour-plus train ride from Pittsburgh to New York with the barely two-hour journey from Paris to Bordeaux, an equidistant journey. Like, they can do the okay. same thing in two hours, and we it takes nine hours here. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I, I mean, it's because the Europeans, certain European, the French, the Germans... The Japanese, uh, even China, Russia, they've all invested in this infrastructure. And I think we, we spoke about this story um, before, but there was a, a Japanese train that left the station one minute early than it was scheduled to. And the head of the, um, whatever it was, the 
the train company or the MT, whatever their MTA was over there, he got on national news and apologized profusely for leaving <laughs> one minute or, or two minutes early, whatever it was. Could you, could you imagine? There's no way uh, like an American counterpart would do such a thing. They'd be like, yeah, we left a minute early. Go screw yourself. I was on an Amtrak train because I've ridden Amtrak quite a bit because I used to take it between, you know, when I lived in New York up here and I would take it to D.C. to see my brother. Down to D.C. it's supposed to be about three hours. One time it took us over six. There was no, no way. It was a beautiful summer day. The trains were just breaking down left and right. It was an absolute disaster. The way they handled it was a disaster. So we get to Union Station, and as soon as you walk into customer service, they're just like, we're not giving any refunds. Just, no, we're not giving any refunds. That was it. They're not even going to compensate you anything. Forget an apology. Forget that. That ain't going to happen. Yeah. Now, I will... And also... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that, like, you know, France and Germany and all that, they are much smaller countries. They're much more cohesive. I mean, America is 300 million. But we do have so much money that... It seems it would compensate for that. But anyway, what were you going to say? No, no. But, you know, there's also, um, you know, like the, the author also cited, you know, Moscow subways running on time and impeccably. Yes. And also China. So it's, it's not just like, you know, France and Germany. There are examples around the world where this, this it's just, a, it's just, it comes down to, you know, whether we care about it or, or, we, or we don't. You know, it's like, and then even too, it's like in New York City, um, he also cited, um, you know, there's corruption, you know, to build a single mile of subway for less than $2 billion. Yeah. $2 billion. Which is ridiculous. I mean, you've got the, you've got the unions involved and, you know, people, you know, the, the politics of it, uh, the corruption of it is just... It's insane. But I mean, I see it like I see, you know, I see the roads, the bridges. I mean, and you're talking about investment in the, you know, the trillions, at least the hundreds of millions of dollars, if not the trillions. Yeah. And the question is, is, you know, do the, you know, is on the federal level, do they have the, the political willpower to push this stuff through? And then on the state level and on the local level. So it's a, it's a big question. Or are we just going to, you know, or is now the American experience to, you know, you're like, you're, you're in the car, it's the wife and two kids. You, you, you turn back to your kids before you go on a bridge. Okay, kids, buckle up. And then you hold your breath. You, you gun the car and hold your breath till you get to the other side. Let's everybody it's, it's like say a, a prayer and uh, <laughs> yeah. hold our rosary beads tight and uh, see if we survive this one. I know. It, I mean, it's just such a, I guess, a bloated bureaucracy. And it's supposed to be, you know, like what, America is not supposed to be like we're supposed to get things done and we do stuff and you know like they're always showing we we talked last week where I, I said um about pickup trucks and you know there there's a pretty scientific correlation between men who own pickup trucks and have small genitalia but anyway uh, <laughs> that's this that's is, scientific this is, a, this is a topic that you just won't I, I've, I've, I've researched I've researched but they're always showing like guys throwing the cinder block it's always during like sporting events too not always but a lot during football and throwing cinder blocks into the back of the f10 pickup super duty and it's like well then why can't we get a bridge built like what is exactly the problem and i think it well yeah, it, i think corruption it is to, part of it yeah i mean it also comes down to you know we have to collectively value the common good so if if the roads uh, mass transit um, bridges tunnels this is for everybody's benefit right it's not just going to benefit the 0.001 percent it's not going to benefit a certain group this goes across you know racial uh sex what what whatever orient whatever per person background you are 
you're you're all gonna to a certain degree equally benefit this from poor to rich. I mean, obviously, if you can't own a car, you're not gonna go over a bridge, but you might take a taxi or the subway that you're on might be going over that bridge. You benefit in mass transit. Well, it's 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 what I'm trying to say is it's a, a universal benefit, but we have to spend that money because the infrastructure is literally you know, a hundred years old, you see it all the time. You see another article come up and it'd be like, oh, this bridge, this is the bridge in Jersey. I think it's like 150 years old. And it, they, they basically are putting band-aids on this. And this is the main, like, this is where the path or, or Jersey transit comes in and out every day. And I'm sure the conductor, much like my example of the family going over the bridge probably does like the sign across <laughs> before he goes over this, this bridge. Well, I think part of the problem is, and I, I think you know, the article kind of obliquely alluded to it, is that the people who can pay for this, the 1%, they don't see it as universal. It doesn't benefit them. They're not taking Jersey Transit. They're not driving over these bridges. I mean, if you're taking a helicopter from your estate in the Hamptons, like if you're Matt Lauer, I know I'm kind of using an old reference. He's not on TV anymore, but... Um, you know, if you're someone like him, who's a report was a reporter, is supposed to report on these things and whatever, or or any other wealthy person who you know they have the most means to pay for these things, but their kids don't go to public schools, they don't ride mass transit. Like, what the hell do they care? You know, they, I mean, they're always looking for ways to not pay taxes. Bill De Blasio, and it says it in this article, he just gave a one point five billion dollar tax break to Amazon. Like, they're not going to pay those taxes. Like, you could take those, uh, uh, you know, 30% of those taxes, still give them a massive tax break, and build a subway line, improve the bridges, put it into the public schools. But, like, Yeah, I don't, Google, I don't think uh, Amazon needed the $1.5 billion tax break. I mean, if Google would pay, like, a fraction of their taxes instead of parking their companies overseas... But that that's the thing, like the people who can pay for these things, like if someone lives in a town, uh, like the town of Hull is, is a town um, not far from me. I used to teach there for about three months. I was a long-term sub. Small town. There's like 12,000 people. But the wealth disparities are, are very stark. There are people with tons of money, and then there are people in Section 8 housing. Well, the people with a lot of money, they don't send their kids to the public schools. They send them to private schools. So they have no vested interests, and, and they have a lot of power, too. I mean, their money buys a lot of political power. So if they're saying, look, I don't care. I don't want my money going to that public school. My kid doesn't go there. I don't ride the subway. I don't ride the T. I don't give a shit. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Well, there goes a lot of your tax base. So I, yeah, and, and, you know. And that definitely, that definitely contributes to the problem. But there's also on the on the flip side of that, there's mismanagement of funds. Oh, absolutely, you know, it, it's, absolutely. It's not like it's just chasing down these kind of deadbeat taxpayers. No, 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 no. Because because it is it is it's legal, right? To uh, you, I mean, you have to pay your taxes, but it's it's legal to try to avoid paying the most taxes that you're you're liable from. I mean, obviously, you know, there are corporations and individuals that have offshore accounts and set up corporations, you know, Caribbean islands, which is against the law. But if, you know, there are tax deductions for giving stuff away to charity, and I'm sure rich people take that to the full advantage, that does decrease the tax base. But, and, and also speaking to what your point is, Yes, the rich do control the politicians, and then they push for laws like this that will benefit them, right? Because if their kids were going to go to these schools, you know, you're, it was like when my, my kids went to, when we lived in Manhattan, and uh, my oldest son was in first grade in the local public school in the city. And, you know, we were, you know, I don't know, 40 blocks away from Harlem, right? But our school, the PTA budget in our school was in the low single-digit million dollar um, because people would would give money. They would give thousands of, you know, either four or five-figure checks to the school so that they could buy the computers, the supplies. But it was a very, you know, it was the Upper East Side, so it was a very affluent uh, neighborhood. 
and you know you either sent your your kid to the public school or you sent your kid to a private school which would cost like 30 40 50,000 dollars a year so if you were writing a check for $5,000 you thought you were getting away with murder and the that school on i think it was on 66th was a very good public school but it was supported by you know the PTA right yeah and and there's nothing wrong with that i mean it's not like <laughs> You know, it's the argument seems to turn into and not from your perspective, but, you know, from somebody who's wealthier that like I would want to take that away from them. And I don't. I mean, that works for your kids and, and you contribute. That's great. But, you know, the school in, in the South Bronx or whatever, who's getting a fraction of that because, you know, the parents, they can't afford to write a check for five grand. Well, how about we do something for them? Like it doesn't mean someone else has to lose, which. I forget where I just heard this, but it was like, it's always this zero-sum game. Like, somebody's got to lose for somebody else to win. And it's like, I'm not even saying the school in the South Bronx has to get equal, an equal amount of money. But just, you know, like, I think you said uh, when your uh, son was there that you guys were, like, able to hire another teacher. Like, you were able to pay for her salary or something like that. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they had like a it was like a teacher's aid that we everyone contributed to. Yeah, and that's great. I mean, there's no way I would want to take that away, but it's like, okay, how about the school in the you know in the Bronx? How about like? Yeah, no, they're, yeah, they're definitely were not afforded the same opportunities because you're right that you know, but you know too, it's not a lot of this stuff too. It you know their their budgets have been cut, but it's not solely throwing more money. No, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. You know, no. because like in this school, the parents were involved. Right. The parents were yes. highly involved in the school. So it wasn't just money that we were contributed, but it was also time. Right, right. They would right. do like fundraisers. It wasn't just writing a check. No, 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 no. Fundraisers right. and, and things of, the, of that nature. Now, it's, you know, it's ridiculous in the sense that you'd have a public school, you're already paying taxes, that you would have to pay more to the public institution. Well, but then you're you know. talking, you know, then you're talking, you know, literally open up a Pandora's box of where the where the problems lie and where the issues lie with the educational system, how to improve the educational system, how to improve, you know, test scores and our test call test scores, the end all be all of success. And, you know, how much is parent involvement involved in the success of the children? And, you know, does the school have the necessary resources and how, how much, you know, how many layers of administration are there? How is the school run? You know, so it, it's a, there's no, it's not black and white and it's a huge problem and it's mirrored in politics. Um, I, I, I couldn't even imagine a solution to this problem. Well, you know, it's depressing when you, I remember reading about this guy. He is a representative from the Bronx. He's a Dominican guy, grew up in public housing up there. His his mother still lives in public housing. And they did a profile on him in the New Yorker. And he was like, he said to Albany, to the people up there, huge problem in public housing are the roofs. The roofs leak. So we really need to fix the roofs that would help solve a lot of the rodent problems and things like that it's a very specific thing to do to, and they won't do it they throw money at, at something else like building more playgrounds in the play and he's like you know he, he was somehow involved in something in red hook as well um after the See, hurricane but that's like that that's a that's a really good example and for you and i like i'm just flabbergasted like why didn't they just take the money and repair the roof. I would think that a leaky roof would be a deterrent to trying to concentrate <laughs> on your studies or listening to a teacher. Right. But there, there's like, it's like an onion. You got to peel back the layers. Like what is, you know, why didn't they do it? Was it because there was uh, a union contract with the roofs and it would have cost too much money or, is someone, you know, politically motivated, you know, for them not to fix the roofs? You know what I mean? There's there's so many. We don't there's there's a lack of transparency. 
right? We, we have no idea of why they wouldn't do that. Or was there just like, you know, to fix all the roofs, did it, would it have cost, you know, $2.3 million and they just didn't have $2.3 million. They had a million dollars. So they decided to build a bunch of playgrounds because they're getting reelected. Who knows? Well, I mean, they had, it wasn't an issue of having the money. The money just went to something else. Maybe it was playgrounds or it was something else, but he, he just expressed his frustration with like, like the, these projects in Red Hook, they had temporary generators. They were theoretically temporary after the hurricane, Hurricane Sandy. They'd been sitting there for two years and they malfunctioned all the time. Residents didn't have hot water, this and that. So finally, they got that fixed. And he went down there, met with the residents. And one of the residents said, like, you're one of the first people who's actually come here from the city government to talk to us to find out what the problem is. And the problem is the generators. And that is fixable. That is a fixable thing. But to try to get the... They'd rather throw, like, $10 million at some BS than fix the roofs. Like, just fix the roofs. And, you know, this is something that I I have brought into my, my classroom when kids write or they answer questions or whatever, like... Be specific. Like, give me an example. Right. Give me evidence for what you're talking about. And it, I, I, if I can teach them nothing else, it's to be like, what needs to be addressed and address it. And if you can't, like, I have to admire uh, Andrew Cuomo. There were those state prisons upstate which had staff and no prisoners in them in these towns. <laughs> and... The argument, and I'm I'm very pro union. I'm a member of a union, and I, I believe in them. I, I they have their problems, and one of them was in these towns, like, well, you can't close the prison because we'll be out of jobs. It's like, well, what, what kind of job is this? I mean, how do you justify You're going paying? to an empty prison yeah. every day? Yeah, like I'm not saying kick them out. Find something else for them to do. Like, there's, there's plenty to do. Pay them to do something else. But that is ridiculous. I mean, to oh, you know, so it's like. I think it's stuff like that that gets people so frustrated, but it's like, how many years did it take to close those prisons down and be like, all right, let's do something. I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah, but you're also, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you're dealing with human nature, right? You're, you're, it's like, it's, we're a fickle beast, you know? And very entrenched, like, very like, no, yeah, this is the way it is. And that's it. And if you're, you know, if you're in a, you know, if you're in uh, this particular town, you know, upstate New York, maybe there's nothing else to do. And you're you're right. holding on to dear life to this right. this job where you go to a, a empty prison because it's, you know, it's a state job. You have benefits and you don't want the status quo to change. Well, if it does, you could lose, you know, you can't make your mortgage payments or. Yeah. And, you know, right, it, exactly. you have to put yourself in their you don't, shoes. You don't see a, you don't see an opportunity. You don't see another opportunity. You don't see a, a future. Yeah. Um, you just, it, it, it's jail or bust. It's empty jail or bust. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's just really hard to like, well, you know, it's funny. Like when I went to work in the film industry, any job you work on, you were supposed to get fed breakfast. You were supposed to get fed lunch. And uh, if you went over 12 hours, a second meal. And, you know, I, I had been a teacher for a long time. I'd worked, I'd never worked a job where I was fed. Never. I mean, it wasn't even, you brought your lunch. You ate breakfast before you went to work and you brought your lunch. On these film sets, I mean, these people expected this. And once or twice, I, you know, I would point out to people, like they'd complain about the food or whatever. I'm like, you know, on other jobs, you don't get fed. You you bring your lunch. Like they, this is well, the ex if you if you worked on you know union jobs or union set. Oh, we got fed. Not only do you get you oh. get fed, but you couldn't cut breakfast or lunch short by a single minute. No, no, not <laughs> at mean, all. It, not there at all. was, and I've been on set. I've been on union and non-union sets. And there are massive penalties involved. Oh, yeah. Like if you strike lunch, like let's say you call, you call lunch at 12 and, you know, it's got to be an hour lunch. If you strike lunch at 1257, you will literally have hell to pay. Yeah. Well, you know, time is fine. 
and I, I had to explain that once or twice to like a, not a producer, but like an assistant director or something like that. Like, you know, if, if we, if you guys aren't paying meal penalties, which would only be like 15 bucks a guy, but you're talking about a hundred people. That's a lot of money for production. Right. Right. And I said, you know, the thing is like, they'll just make you work through lunch. Like you have to kind of hold the line, but you know, when I would say about the food, I'm like, and guys, when I worked on Law & Order, it was like a three-star restaurant every meal. Huge buffets, pretty much whatever you wanted. And people would still complain. They would still <laughs> complain that the shrimp scampi was bullshit. That the oh, roast beef. God. And I said, you know, if you work a construction job, you you bring your own lunch. Like, they're not, fe- and they would, their answer was always, well, it's just the way it is. And it's like, you know what? It's always that answer when it benefits you. That's the way it is. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. how did this become your expectation and your entitlement? And they don't, like, they'd look at me like I had two heads. Because I'm just like, well, uh, I've worked other jobs. You know, and if they've worked in it for years and, you know, people, they just get entrenched in their, yeah, their ways. Will, you know, it's, uh, what is that? Misery loves company. I mean, I've some of those some of those guys and girls have been on sets for like 10, 15, 20 years. That's their default reaction is complain. Yeah, just complain about everything. Everything. Not not just the food. Everything. Everything. Yep. And it's like you know, people do harder. I mean, being a grip on a TV show was hard. Being a grip on a commercial that would be pretty easy. We'd set up. We'd literally have like it. It was funny the dichotomy of it because you know I've worked on like like a commercial for, I don't know, Pepsi or something like that and got paid like $600 for the day. And we would work like two hours in the morning. We'd do a setup, green screen, and we'd just sit there. Like six hours would go by. We might make a few adjustments and then we'd break it down and that was it. We were done in eight hours. Other jobs, it's been $100 and I worked like 17 hours. And it was like, (laughs) it was just balls out. I mean, you were exhausted. You were just wiped out at the end of it. So it was funny how that that worked. But yeah, those some of those guys will complain. It doesn't, you know, you ask them to do anything, and they, they'll complain about it and this and that, and the eggs weren't good that morning, and you know whatever else it is. But well, it's it just just pulling this back to the infrastructure. It's going to be interesting to see what this administration does. With, you know, Trump was, you know, he ran on the fact that he was going to improve infrastructure. You ha- you still have a re- Republican-dominated House and Senate. Um, you see if, we'll see if they're, I mean, it doesn't look like they have any issue with spending money. But it would be very interesting to see if, if a bill got, you know, an infrastructure bill got passed through the, um, you know, the political system. Well, I mean, as far as I know, they've done nothing on infrastructure. I don't. I don't know. Oh, what... I think it's it's just all been talk. I yeah. don't think anything anything concrete has come about. But it would be interesting. I mean, it. The thing is, is it is sorely needed, right? Do we need another, you know, plane that will fly faster? and will cost $500 billion and take 10 years, I'm going to safely say probably not, considering that the U.S. military could destroy the next 15 largest militaries combined. I don't think we need to spend the money on that. But according to Boeing, we do, who has a well, lot of... Oh, yes. And Lockheed Martin, of yeah, course. We have we a lot must. of political pull. Uh, I was hearing about these, like... Uh, Aircraft carriers, they cost, you know, $6 billion to build. And they're pretty much obsolete by the time they get them into the water. They don't really function. Uh, it's good. Prop- it's money well spent. Like one, the, one- So then the question is, is like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you take some of that money earmarked for defense and then earmark it for infrastructure, well, education? Well, because then you you're know? taking jobs away from those, you know, Lockheed Martin's not going to make $6 trillion next year and you know god forbid that right. happens. we're not and then we're not going to be able to sell uh jets to saudi arabia so that they can bomb uh women and children 
you know, I just don't think people like Mitch McConnell and whatnot, like talk about being entrenched. I mean, and, and this is, you know, Trump said he was going to drain the swamp, blah, blah, blah. I hadn't done any of that. And, and, and this happens to Democrats too. It just, everything exists in the abstract for them. Like they have no stake in public schools. They have no stake. We have never had a secretary of education. Never. Not under Obama. Certainly not, not now. Under any of them that has even worked in education. We have never had a federal secretary or national secretary of education who's been an educator. And it's just like, why wouldn't you hire somebody who was like the superintendent of California public schools? Like that is the biggest school district or New York. One of those two. Hire one of those people. Uh, it, would, it would just, pro you know, it would just probably make too much sense. Arnie Duncan was Obama's guy. I mean, Betsy DeVos isn't even worth going into. Uh, Arnie Duncan was Obama's <laughs> guy. I mean, that, I mean, you know, no, nothing Trump does is even worth trying to talk about because it just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, but even Obama's guy, Arnie Duncan, he uh, grew up in Chicago. He spent a year um, working, like his mother ran some kind of after-school uh, homework help program in inner city Chicago, which is great for her. I mean, don't get me wrong. He spent a year, I guess, volunteering there, and then he wrote a paper on it saying, like, I know the trials and travails of inner city youth. And that was it. That's his experience with education. And he was Obama's guy. It's like, <laughs> why, why don't you get somebody who's taught, who's been in a classroom? Like, I don't, would you hire, uh, what's the, um, what's the head doctor? I forget what they call that position. Uh, oh, Surgeon General? Yeah, would you hire a Surgeon General who's not a doctor? Or would you have right. the Attorney General who's not a lawyer? I mean, I don't... And then they wonder, like, Massachusetts constantly ranks number one in the nation in uh, in public education. And the, the head of it for a long time, I don't know if he still is, was a guy named Matt, Matt Monroe, I think. The guy taught... Mm -hmm. For 10 years in Brockton, which is a tough place to teach, uh, he's been a principal, he's, he's done all these things, and it's like, there you go. Like, you hire somebody who knows what he's doing. Remember when uh, Bloomberg hired that woman, Catherine Black, to be right. the, you know, the, the head of the superintendent? And it was a, yep. she was like a, a fashion editor or something like that. Like, right, 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 right. And it was a disaster. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. And it's like Mike Bloomberg runs a huge business. Like I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it's just like we don't really care about it. So just stick some political hack in there and whatever. It'll work itself out. All right. Uh, we are we're coming close to an hour here. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I wrapped us up. Well, I know people are really begging for hour two. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I gotta, I, I gotta stretch out on the couch and take a nap. I am, I am <laughs> yeah, wiped. Me too. I gotta, I gotta take a nap. I am this. wiped out. All right. <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll get back at you. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of The Working Experience. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the Still Believe app, which creates HD videos of your favorite holiday characters in your home. Simply take a picture on your phone, and they create the magic. We have Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Definitely check it out on stillbelieve.co. It's also available on the App Store and Google Play. Okay, thanks, everyone.